great to see you, man. It's beautiful outside, and here you are in here honoring the Lord, so good job. We're going to spend a little time on something Jesus said that uh, when he said it would have been like a thunderclap to the disciples. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He said that to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen along the Sea of Galilee. But they would have been so surprised because the rabbinical choices had already been made. In their culture, the the rabbis of prestige and status would pick who was going to study under them. Those picks had already been made and Peter and Andrew, James and John didn't make the cut. And now Jesus, this growing leader, walking by the sea, turns to them and gives to them an invitation they never thought they would hear. And how you and I respond to invitations and how we make choices will be our theme this morning. Would you bow your heads with me and let's just ask the Lord to help us? Father, thank you for meeting with us this morning, and uh, I pray that in a very unique and very individual way, according to the need of our heart and how you aspire for each of us, you will speak through your faithfulness to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's jump into the scriptures. It comes from Matthew chapter 4. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. If you find yourself stuck, you've been hovering over a decision for days or weeks or months, immobilized, maybe even frozen, then this This may be a morning where the Lord has something He wants to share with you. Maybe you're looking at a point of personal growth or professional growth or change. But it appears to you that the the change involves a series of choices, none of which seem that obvious. Then maybe this morning is, is a time where the Lord wants to help us grapple with the choices we have. When Jesus talked to Andrew and Peter, James and John, he gave them an invitation, and that invitation presented a series of principles or choices for them. Here was the first one. They were now looking at a man who was showing them an act of permission giving. This man, Jesus, was saying, I'm going to open up a door for you. It was a door they never thought would be open to them. It was an opportunity they couldn't even have envisioned. 
It was clearly in harmony with their DNA or the invitation wouldn't have come. And yet, it would have been a stunning invitation. And they looked at Christ and saw him as a permission giver. Now, you and I have a regular choice to make. Whether we see our God as a gatekeeper someone whose laws are always restricting and always hampering and always restraining, or whether we actually see God as a permission giver, championing the DNA that he created in you, applauding and aspiring with you and for you to become all that he created you to be, stepping into the capacities that you have and growing in those capacities. One of the journeys of my life has been the journey into seeing God, the God of Scripture, as a permission-giving God. I've had in the last few years uh, three conversations with three different individuals that had a tremendous impact on me. One was Peter Holmes about six years ago. Peter Holmes comes in and out of journey ministering through the Rafa ministry, and uh, he and I were visiting at a coffee shop in a large city. He sat across the table at Starbucks, and he said, well, Derry, what do you really want? I not only was speechless, nothing came to my mind. Despite the fact that Jesus asked that question three different times to three different people. That question had always been positioned as a selfish question in my religious background. And yet Jesus used it repeatedly. And he said to me, Derry, what do you want? And I didn't know what I wanted. And it didn't occur to me that God wanted to know that he gave me a will and he gave me wants, not simply for me to abdicate those, but rather to express those in in full harmony with the DNA he created me with and in harmony with his lordship and love in my life. The result of that conversation was that I resigned a role and an occupation that I had had for over 30 years. I entered a PhD program at the University of Birmingham in England. I moved to England and lived for eight years. And I pursued an entirely different track that I would have ever pursued all the way along, conscious of a God who was smiling at the risks I was taking. I met another man. I came back from England, and I thought, well, if I'm not going to do my old job, I've got to find a different job, and I'd worked with organizations all my life, and decided, I wonder about going into a consultancy role. And so I set up a series of interviews with business leaders to ask them their perspective and what they needed, and I, I really was asking them to teach me how to be a consultant. And one of the first men I met with was Jeff Beaker. Jeff Beaker is a very successful businessman in a large city. And we sat down at a, at a hotel restaurant. And I started asking him questions. And then he said this. He says, now, Derry, 
when, when people you're trying to work with learn that you're new at this, now I'd already finished the, the statement, that when they find I'm new at this, they either won't value my opinion or they won't want to pay me. Here's what he said. Now, Derry, when people find out you're new at this, they will want to help you. He says, they will want to help you. Because many of the people you talked, talk with are going to be people who started their own business. They risked everything. They know the trials and the tribulations of it. And even if some of them don't hire you, they will admire what you're trying to do and they will want to honor that thing. And so I moved into another role. The third conversation happened just, uh, just a few months ago. Um, I haven't been very visible. I'm actually on staff here. <laughs> I, I haven't been very visible for the last year mostly because of the graciousness of uh, Brian Hopkins, our lead pastor. Uh, I've been working on a Ph.D. thesis, and my thesis is on the social factors that enable an organization to sustain an empowering environment. The social factors that enable an organization to sustain an empowering environment. And in January, my wife and I moved... Uh, temporarily to another location so I could just write. And she did all my proofreading. Now that was, a, that was a grand task needing much grace all by itself because I paint grammatically with a broad brush. <laughs> and uh, she kept going, oh, well, during this season I'm writing my thesis based on case studies I did of a church, a nonprofit, and a business. And I'm sending parts of chapters and whole chapters to my academic supervisor in Birmingham, England. And he's scribbling away, and then he's sending me two and three and four pages of recommendations, moving paragraphs, deleting sections, rewording stuff, and it's back and forth, back and forth for week after week. Two weeks before my deadline, March 19th, I sent in my final chapters, and he sends me back an email, and he said, you're not going to like what I have to say. He says, you're spending all your time writing about empowering others, but you are almost invisible in this text. He says, everywhere in the text, you're quoting other people. But what do you think? What is your opinion of the information and data you've collected? Where are you in this document? I printed off that email and I went to a Starbucks just down the road in that neighborhood of Mesa, Arizona, where we were at. And I read that and reread it and I thought, you know, he's right. You see, if I spend all my time quoting somebody else, If I fail, I'll be disappointed, but it'll be too bad all these other people were wrong. But if I write what I think, after 30 years of working in organizations and watching how they sometimes intentionally and often intentionally restrain, inhibit, 
even destroy people's inner resolve and DNA. If I write what I think and it's rejected, then it's me who gets rejected. So at that Starbucks, I decided that I was going to sink or swim being me. And I went back with two weeks left, and I threw away chapter 6 and 7, and I began brand new rewriting those two chapters. And I wrote what I thought. Now, in my last chapter, the stories I just told you of Peter Holmes, Jeff Beaker, and Martin Stringer, my academic supervisor, they're in that last chapter. Because those three men had one thing in common. They were all permission givers. They opened a door. They didn't push me through it. They didn't require me to go through it. But they invited me into a new place. And I have learned to honor people who are permission givers. Someone asked me, well, should we need permission? I said, no, no, probably in a perfect world we shouldn't. Because, but a lot of people aren't permission givers, and there are a lot of obstacles in our way, and we're all imperfect, and many of us have, often have quiet, disqualifying voices that always speak to us every time we get an idea or a thought. And in that kind of imperfect world, we need other people. And we need a God who is a permission giver, who invites us through a door we could not go through if some other, some other voice wasn't with us as we went through that door. You and I give people privileged voice. Everyone in this room has given somebody or some people privileged voice. It means that there are some people in our lives who, when they speak, their voice is magnified over other people's voice. And sometimes we give people a privileged voice who are not permission givers. And we don't account for what dies inside of us as we constantly hear the voice of someone who is not a permission giver. When Jesus told these four men, come on, come on, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, it was someone who was giving them permission to move in a direction that they could have never moved on their own. Now there's another thing about permission giving, and that is it's full of promise. He was inviting them to something. Whatever we concentrate on, we conform to. And he was inviting them to a new concentration, a new focus. He said, I'm going to give you a new skill. I'm going to enhance the skill you have for fishing into fishing for people. And I want you to focus on me. He says, follow me. Now, the interesting thing about a promise is that usually when we say yes to something, especially if it's a big yes, it usually has to have a lot of little no's. 
And perhaps one of our struggles as, as Americans is when we say a big yes, we just want to add it on to all the other yeses we've said. Until our life gets so cluttered, so distracted, the focus gets so scattered that we're more like a marsh instead of a river. The river not only moves, but it has energy. And the marsh just kind of filters out until it's stagnant and lays. You and I just finished watching the Olympics. And when we were watching the Olympics, we were watching a host of people who, for the sake of a big yes, said all kinds of little no's in order to make the big yes a focal point of their life. So in this invitation of Jesus, there was Jesus the permission giver. There was the Jesus who offered a promise. And the last thing we notice here is the Jesus who gave an invitation that had a price. Now granted, he was asking the disciples to focus on the prize, not the price. Nevertheless, there was a price. The Bible says they left their nets. They left their boats. The Bible says they left their father in order to follow Jesus. He was inviting them to a choice. Now I'd like to reflect a little bit about how we make choices. There's a lot said within Christian circles about choices, and I'm only going to talk about one small part of it. There are other elements like self-denial and obedience that are part of choice-making. But we hear a lot about that. I'm going to focus on choice-making over here and add this little dimension to it. When it comes to choices, many believers think of choice-making in their Christian faith as almost like walking a tight wire. They don't dare step left or right. It's just every step has to be so carefully uh, made and The result is I run into believers all the time who live in constant fear that they're going to get it wrong. Constant fear that they're going to get it wrong. But you know that within the the scope of Scripture, and within this context, it's got to be ethical, it's got to be legal, it has to fit your DNA how Christ designed you And it has to be under the lordship of Christ. But within that context, there are many choices that you make where you could make any number of choices and God will be happy with any of them. He's just waiting for you to choose. Not to be afraid. God said to Adam and Eve, now he says, now listen, here, here you are, here's the garden, here's the animals, you take authority over it, and you go out and name the animals. Man, imagine all the choices. So Adam and Eve are out there, and come, come on one animal, and ah, Adam says, what do you think? How about, should we name it a zebra? Zebra. Didn't see that one coming, but all right. Eve say, well, I don't know, what do you suppose he thinks? I don't think he said, now, now you've got to check back with me every time you name an animal just to make sure it's okay with me. 
Oh, there's it. Well, that's an odd-looking animal. Long neck. Let's call it a giraffe. What do you think? One half or two? And there... You see, as a father, which is God's choice of a metaphor of his relationship with us, I'm raising my children to make choices. And you would all look on me as a poor father if every time my kids made a choice, they were looking over their shoulder afraid that they were making the wrong choice or it wasn't going to please me. Do I hope that they seek my opinion? Yes. Do I hope they want my advice? Sure. But I want them to feel the liberty of choosing within the boundaries of legal, ethical, fitting their DNA and under the lordship of Christ. I want them to have a a sense of liberty in choosing. See, what Adam and Eve teach us is that in many instances, the choice you make makes it the right choice. The choice you make. So we can sit back tentatively. So I don't know, I don't know. I hope it's not the wrong choice. I hope I don't. You see, Satan, Satan loves that. He tries to intimidate you into not choosing. Because if he can keep you immobile, not moving, not taking action then even if he can't keep you from becoming a Christian, he can keep you from having any impact. Because he keeps you through intimidation from making choices. But in many arenas, the choice you make makes it the right choice. And somebody may think, well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, if I did this, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't even see how that's going to work. No, you won't until you choose. Just like Jesus told three different people, declare what you want. Because when you choose it, alliances, people, and resources become visible that are not visible before you choose it. Because the choosing honors something. And other people and resources that honor that thing are attracted to you as you make that choice. And so Christ helps us to choose. Now something else happens with choice. We often, we often fear, okay, but if I make this choice, look, at I could have made all these choices, and now all these are all lost to me. But that's not actually how it works. Once you choose, if you choose with all your heart, that choice begins to magnify. And the magnification of the choice you make shadows the choices that you didn't make. And you don't live in the constant regret of these other choices. You live in the prize of the choice you made. That's how we expect marriage to work. Think, man, I'm a man. This is like a billion women. I, I could choose. And then I choose. And my choice begins to magnify 
until my choice fills up the screen of my life. And so you and I, we live next to, we work with people of the opposite sex, and we may notice that they are intelligent or attractive or personable, but we never think of them as an option because I've chosen and my choice fills the screen of my life. And I don't, you know, my, I used, we used to take my mom out to eat. Now, she's 87. But I'd always pick a restaurant that had a simple menu. Because she'd look at all the stuff on the menu, and then she'd finally choose something, and then you'd order something, and when your stuff came, she'd say, oh, I should have ordered that. So I said, oh, we've got to go someplace that only gets two or three things, you know. North Dakota needed an In-N-Out burger. That's, you know. Uh, No, I chose. And my choice magnified. And it shadows the choices I didn't make. And I invest. Bible says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I began to invest in my choice until my heart, in all of its capacity is with the choice I made. And for some of us, by walking that tightrope, Satan has frozen us into inaction and thus into impotency. When God this God of the permission giving, not this God. This God, waiting, aspiring for you to step into the capacities He created you with. This permission giving, invitational, promising God. He says, Choose. Ethical, yes. Legal, yes. In harmony with your DNA, yes. Under his lordship, yes. But choose. And watch Father God and resources and people that move towards your choice to buttress it and strengthen it and empower it to do what you had hoped it would do. Well, I think that's it for today. Why don't you set your stuff aside as we finish up. And uh, I wonder if you just bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And We're not going to embarrass anyone this morning. But could I ask you, Have you been seeing God as a permission-giving God? Aspiring on your behalf to fulfill the DNA that He created you with. Do you see Him as a God with folded arms? And a frown? Or the father that yearns to see his children do well.
if you've been living the tightrope, inhibited and afraid, this morning you can begin a transaction with God. You can confess where you've been at. You can say, Lord, I, I don't even know how it got there, but I know that I've been living with a view of you that's inhibiting and restricting, sometimes even hostile. And I know I've constructed that view. That's not who you are. And this same God that invited Peter and Andrew and James and John to step into their capacity in this new reality. Lord, I, I want to experience that God. I want to lay down some of these old pictures that I've carried of you. And I want to pick up a picture of my Father God who yearns and dreams of me becoming all that you created me to be. So Lord, forgive me and empower me to take the next step. I'm not even sure this morning what that next step is. But will you start talking to me? about choosing. You can pray something like that in your own words. We're just going to wait while you do that. And our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but just to honor the Lord who has invested so much in you. If you've been praying and asking God to help you with that transaction, with our heads bowed, would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say, yeah, I prayed about that today. Yeah, over here on my left. Number in the center. Over on the left again, here on my right. Over on my far right. Way in the back on my right. Over here on my left. Here in the center, up near the front. Halfway back in the center. Over here on the left, two or three. Way in the back on the left. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Lord, just thank you. Thank you for how patient you are with us. Lord, I just somehow, sometimes I lament at how slow I am to comprehend what you're saying. And yet you are so patient and you repeat it so often. You know that we are like dust. We're grateful for how gracious you are. For all of these across this room who raised their hands this morning, would you rush grace to them? Your power to help them at this point? Would you honor their decision? Would you begin a conversation with them on what the next step is? Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus' name. Amen.